Ladies and gentlemen, before we get into a big, special edition of the Cheap Heat Podcast, got to give a shout out to Bambi, okay? If you are starting your own business, you have your own business, you know HR issues can absolutely kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, there's so much to think about. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. We know right now things have been especially hard for small businesses. So you don't want to be thinking about HR. You don't want to be losing money because you're not handling your HR. So here's what you do. You go to Bambi. Bambi Bambi.com slash cheap right now. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash cheap right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash cheap. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash cheap. Get yourself a free HR audit and get yourself a dedicated HR manager. All right? You can craft HR policy, maintain compliance, and do it all for $99 a month. So go get that free HR audit right now at Bambi.com slash cheap. Also, before we start, shout out to the ESPN Daily. My friend Mina Kimes doing a great, great job It's like every big story that's going on in sports to start your day. It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. They're crushing it. Go subscribe wherever you find podcasts. It's the ESPN Daily every single day wherever you find podcasts. And now it's time. Yes, sir. We promised you a great man here tonight. gentlemen welcome to a very special edition of cheap heat uh we have a lot to get to that special first of all it is the special juneteenth edition of cheap heat stack yes stack guy greg a a happy juneteenth to you sir thank you thank you uh i'm not sure about the protocol i don't know if i wish you a happy juneteenth as well now listen i'm not the person who gets to decide this because i'm white but i believe it should be celebrated amongst everyone. I believe that the the freedom of black people is a celebration for our entire country. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I agree. However, I don't want Juneteenth to become it's true. Cinco de Mayo. That's a great like point. three years. So what do you but, but you do you, but do you think that comes? Where does that come from? That really comes from the corporate part of it, from like when it, like when it all becomes about, you know, the thing to do is you have to, you know, drink X drink on Juneteenth. Although I'm not going to lie, I am ordering soul food for dinner. So uh, soul food is delicious and tasty, and I mean, and like, of and, course. and supporting black business, it's the way to go. But at the same time, well, like, you don't want it to become all about soul food. 
Right. And I saw, I, I already saw a tweet from like this white dude. It was a screen cap of an article that he wrote that was just like, oh yeah, you know, you celebrate Juneteenth with like a refreshing watermelon drink and no, no. barbecue chicken. No. It's like. See, it's an iffy line. Not yet. Don't, don't, don't do it like that yet. Right out the gate. <laughs> well, but guess what? We are doing something special though. It's Juneteenth. So there's only one proper way to start the show, SGG. All right, SGG. And I'm you have black yo, power rankings this week? In at number three, it's Bobby Lashley. Like you said, it's Juneteenth. We're celebrating uh, emancipation. We're celebrating freedom. And Bobby Lashley, in the spirit of Juneteenth this Monday, said he wanted a divorce from Lana. He freed himself from the shackles from of that, of that white woman. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and his loveless marriage. All right, the loveless marriage. And he's coming in at number three on this special Juneteenth edition of the Black Power Rankings. And in at number two. Bear is also excited champ- for Juneteenth. Sorry. Bear. <laughs> in at Bear. number two. Yeah. No, he. He didn't choose chicken. He doesn't get to be excited. For <laughs> okay. He, he picks his side. <sighs> in at number two, a champion, Sasha Banks. Uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey on NXT defended the, the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. Uh, not just a, a successful defense, but a great match. Um, good to see them go back to full sale and pick up the win. So in at number two, Okay. Sasha Banks. Shout out to the boss. And in at number one, and I don't think we talked about this um, too much on the podcast, but Titus O'Neil, who officially nominated for the ESPY for Sports Humanitarian of the Year, mm. um, just for all of his like community activism and and everything that he's been doing outside of the ring, you know, which may explain why we don't we don't often get to see him on Mondays and Fridays. I'm not even sure which brand he's on, but you know, he's out there doing the work. And uh, ESPN is recognizing it because he's he's officially SB nominated, and uh, ho- good luck to him. Hopefully, he brings it home. Hopefully, he pulls down the pulls down the win. That would be very very cool. He's a great dude who does a lot. He's 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 well deserving. Yeah, not only of this place in the Black Power rankings, but I mean, because this is kind of honor enough when you think about it. Yeah, of course. He should be he should be well happy with this, but I mean, if he wants to stack up the accolades. Pad the resume, if you will. You know, SB also can't hurt. So are you doing anything to celebrate Juneteenth? And let me just say this, because we're probably being kind of casual about it, because in, in our worlds, it's a really big deal. I'm sure there are people listening, though, where it's not making it to their worlds. Just to be clear, like, I'm curious, SGG, what was, what's your history of knowledge or, and, and celebration of Juneteenth? So my parents are from Belize. So we didn't really, like, I just found out about Juneteenth within, like, the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember when, but I found out fairly recently, considering I'm, like, in my 30s. You don't remember then, any Harlem celebrations of it? I don't. I'm not, I mean, I know, I know it was Harlem week, but I'm not sure if that was, like, a Juneteenth thing or just, like, Harlem mites trying to be fly thing. Right. I don't, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I don't remember any Harlem celebrations around Juneteenth. 
and then my family, like I said, we're from Belize, so we certainly didn't celebrate it. But I'm ten toes down now. We here. <laughs> I find it. I, I think it's pretty amazing, honestly. Like, and I'm happy people are embracing it more so than being like I could see people being overly annoyed about the mainstreamness of it. I'm happy to mm-hmm. see people embracing it because. When you think about it, and I tried to put this in my Instagram post, you talk about something that's worthy of a holiday. We celebrate so many different things. How is the end, and granted, it was just the beginning of the struggle, but how is the end of slavery, the worst moment, the worst, not moment, the worst period in this country's history, how is the end of that not recognized? Like we recognize yeah. so many other things. This is looking, this is what the reason it's important to celebrate is not just because, uh, black people deserve it. It's also important for all of us to look in the face of the, of one of the worst atrocities in this country's history. I mean, maybe, you know, the worst or tied with what we did to the Native Americans, but you're, st- you have to stare it right in the face. And I think it's important to celebrate the end of it. It just seems like a really worthy holiday. And SGG, I sort of think this is going to be the beginning of it being a permanently big deal. Yeah, I I honestly hope so. And, you know, to answer your question, part of the reason why it's not more widely celebrated is obviously because in the years after slavery, um, you know, with Reconstruction, the KKK and the putting up of the Confederate monuments in the in the 1920s and the 1910s, they tried to rewrite that history. Like there was progress made shortly after emancipation and the end of the Civil War, and it immediately was rolled back to the point where you saw Jim Crow and lynchings and and you know the restriction of voting rights and disenfranchisement and a lot of a lot of oppression just as a backlash. And again, that's that's probably why Juneteenth is not more widely celebrated, but yet you have like a Confederate Memorial Day or like a Jefferson Davis Day. Right. It it makes it does make perfect sense. How much celebration could you have had when things were horrible and when slavery ended, you go right into the thirteenth amendment and you, you know, black people don't have any jobs to get, any education uh, opportunities. It was just like how do, how, how much is there to celebrate? Now they say on record the first celebration of it goes back to 1866, so there was some celebration of it. But yeah, it it, it makes sense honestly, considering how slow it has been the progress. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of makes sense that what we're doing right now would be the beginning of getting towards a place where celebration could be possible. It, yeah, it makes sense because maybe now we're finally on the path to things being acknowledged and changed. So maybe, I don't know, it seems like a pretty cool idea, though, like to imagine our future kids growing up with it being just a holiday in their life is yeah. a pretty cool thing to think about, you know? So, um, yeah, but I wasn't... But not right. to the point of being Cinco de Blanco, though. You don't want it to become Cinco de Blanco. No. Um, and again, that's going to be a fine line. Because the problem is... <laughs> it's getting close already. <laughs> because it's close already. It's a fun holiday. Like it's, it's a celebratory holiday. It's not solemn. So people celebrate. Anytime there's a holiday where people celebrate. But no, here's what you really don't want. You really don't want it to be that people who are just straight up racist still go out and celebrate Juneteenth. Right. They're like, oh, I love Cinco de Mayo, but if I see them damn Mexicans... Exactly. You know, like you don't want... <laughs> that's the scary... That's the really scary part. Yeah. And the um, other problem is like it's it's in the summertime too, so it's like 
you know, the weather's warm, so we already, I mean, it's already going to be, are you doing it's anything? already welcoming. Are you doing anything to celebrate? Yeah, there's a thing going on around, around our neighborhood. It's because we live in Philly and they're calling it Jaunteen. So it's like a celebration. I know, I know. I just covered it. But if that is so Philly, it's <laughs> ridiculous. They couldn't have just gone with Juneteenth. They had to go with Jaunteenth. Please, going, please send me a John picture. Teeth. Will you please send me a picture? I will. Please I will. send me a picture of one of those things. Come on, Philly. <laughs> well, we go with a John Teeth to go celebrate. So it's like a neighborhood, uh, like what is it, like a block party? I imagine it's going to be like a block party. It's going down, I think, Malcolm X Park. And yeah, we're just going to go celebrate, hang out, That's see sad. what's up. Wear masks? Yeah, of course. Shh. Of course. Um, all right, SGG, what, what news do we, before we get to our big special episode, and if you're just tuning in, uh, we are going to be joined by most of the Jew World Order to uh, finish the conversation SGG and I were having last week about the greatest wrestling matches of all time, all inspired by the greatest wrestling match ever. Yes. Um, which needs to be discussed as well, but we'll get there. So news, SGG, what do you have? So yesterday, um, there was a big, a big day in the internet wrestling community. Um, there was a hashtag going around on social media, hashtag speaking out. And basically the crux of it is that, um, numerous, like a lot of wrestlers were accused of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, um, abuse. You name it, um, some big names for sure on that list. And it's, it was just a lot, just with the, just the sheer volume of it. I think there was around 40 or 50, uh, wrestlers. Wow. With all different types of allegations. And, and, and like promoters and, and writers and all yeah. kinds of different people. Now, yeah. we discussed this before the show. I don't know if it's fair us being a, a part of ESPN and ESPN handling their business properly. I don't know if it's fair for us to go through naming these allegations that just came out on Twitter as allegations without there being more information. Um, but you can go check it out for yourself. It's all there, and I'm assuming we'll we'll see what comes of this. Um, you know, and honestly, too, just the, the sheer volume of it, too. Like it, it could be a podcast in itself, just us reading like the names and the yeah. allegations. That's, that's true too. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot out there. Um, some of it was. Pretty disturbing. I only read a few, and I was like, whoa. Because it, it crept up on me. I was doing other things. Obviously, as you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. So I can totally miss a wrestling thing that's happening. And then at the end of the day, someone sent me a, a tweet, and I was like, oh, so this has been happening today. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on these stories as more information um, comes out. But, yeah, that was certainly crazy yesterday. And I don't mean to be down with obviously- importance. I just want to be mindful because I'm responsible for – we're responsible for doing a good podcast, but also we are the official wrestling podcast of ESPN. So they t- they don't report on stories. There'll be huge stories. Well, they will wait and wait and wait till they get their official confirmation. So I, I don't want to go jumping ahead. I'd probably leave it to our writing staff. Um, we have a group of guys led by Andrew Feldman and, and Timothy uh, Fiervanti who do a great job doing real hard news. So I- I'll kind of follow their lead on this subject. Right. And obviously we support the women speaking out. This is not us telling anybody to, you know, slow down or be quiet. Like 
Absolutely not. Tell your stories, share your truth at your pace. Um, just for our listeners who haven't been made aware of what's going on, this is what's out there, and it's a lot, and it's all under the hashtag uh, speaking out on Twitter. If you want to, you know, read and learn more about it. What What other big um, news stories are there? Apparently, um, a fan was recently tested positive for COVID. And when I say a fan, I mean, you know, WWE recently started to let in limited number of fans to the shows with the hopes of eventually going back to normal. And one of the, someone tested positive for COVID. So it wasn't and, a develop, uh, it wasn't a developmental talent. It was someone they brought I, in. I feel like I was, I read that it was someone that they bought in and tested and- positive. I felt like it was a developmental tale. Uh, another source is confirming what you said, that it was a developmental talent. It does say that. Yes. They tested positive for COVID-19, and um, it says, you know, no other individuals that attended had reported symptoms. So it, it seems that this person might have even been asymptomatic, mm-hmm. just had it, and now here we are. It's like, you know, they sort of attempted fate, WWE and AEW, and anybody running the risk of doing shows right now with COVID. So you you hate to see it happen, but it almost feels inevitable that like yeah. you're just going to do it's, it hasn't been business as usual. Obviously, they're doing a lot more like testing and they're, they're trying different things to make sure that they stay on top of it. But it hasn't been a shutdown either. No. It hasn't been a quarantine. It hasn't been what the average uh, American has been doing. No. To, to sort of. And, and Florida's, curve, and so. Florida's ba- bouncing back. Uh, Florida's has a, has a spike. And both of yeah. these companies are operating in Florida. Yeah. So, uh, which Florida welcomed, Florida welcomed this, you know, wrestling's essential. Keep it going. And they, you know, they took advantage of that, which any business owner would. But, um, yeah, just, it's bad. And also we should note that, uh, Edge, Edge has a torn tricep, huh? Uh, repeat that. I said Edge has a torn tricep, huh? Yes. Yes. The, the, the stresses of, Competing in the greatest match ever, caught up with Edge. Uh, after nine years, he tried to go full tilt, and yeah, torn tricep. So he's out. Could be up to eight months. Um, but we'll see. And we'll see if he comes back. And they try to do it one more time at a WrestleMania, maybe with a crowd, which I think would be the the, the ideal payoff. But without with 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 that all said, let's welcome in the members of the Jew World Order and get to debating the greatest wrestling matches. Ever. You're hurting me. All right, SGG, as promised, we have formed like Voltron, the Jew World Order, in, in really <laughs> what it currently is. I mean, I would say Shoemaker's not here, but this, this is the current version of the Jew World Order. He exists in, he exists in, in phone number on a text chat only at this point. So, uh, we have <laughs> from an undisclosed location, um, Andrew Gold, former host of a great TNA podcast, the Total Nonstop Podcast, with yours truly. The original wrestling podcast. That's right. It'll be Andrew Goldstein. How you doing? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. This is uh, 
this is wonderful to uh, to have a, almost a minion here. Yeah, it is. It's minion and Jace confirmed. We also have um, from uh, from parts unknown, but from his home in Los Angeles, looking Wyatt family a Jace, um, Brian Dipperstein. <laughs> Uh, does anybody on this chat have any Propecia? <laughs> I, I don't know what our sponsorships are on GP2. I don't want to tell you what I use. By the way, I use the generic finasteride. Uh, Quarter pill a day. Your I'm hair having looks some tremendous. issues. That's all falling out. Really? Did, I you, use couldn't, him. you couldn't tell. It looks like you have plenty of hair right now. It looks like you have more hair than before the quarantine. I'm being sarcastic. You, you look great. Oh, okay. You're being sarcastic. Now, moving right along... We go to a man who actually looks thinner than he even did just a week ago. I can tell the cheeseburgers, the daily cheeseburgers and bolognese are gone. Mr. Bolognese, a.k.a. Ted, a.k.a. Wrestling for Sale. Um, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. First time. Yeah, your first time. First time on the show. This is your first time on the show and your your extended Jew World Order. Like, this is a big deal, kind of. And- yeah, and I haven't I haven't had any bolognese this week or double cheeseburgers, so I feel I feel fresh, I feel light. You look um, you look thinner than when oh, we watched the pay per view the other day. Yeah, I mean I, I'm just not taking down that much beef this week. It's it's like it's been chicken, it's been lean, it's been lean meat. Uh, I think I've done chicken all week, so if, I, if maybe by the weekend I could that. Eat. You look like those two years where Hogan was thin. Yes, ninety four. You look ninety four Hogan. Oh. Yeah. Now, now I'm glad you mentioned. Erase that from my memory. Now I'm glad you mentioned. Cream still chi- is very slimming. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm glad you mentioned chicken because uh, up next is a man known for his uh, fondness of chicken. And uh, Stack Guy Greg, you've already been on the show for the first 18 minutes, but hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to see everybody. And lastly, you may know him from his days working at dot com. It's Zach Linder. <laughs> You know, if anybody gets out of line, I think we all know what it means when I say Sheket Bavakasha. And we, and we may need that. It, it means quiet, please. And we may need that because it's a lot of loud Jews, uh, on one call. So we, we started talking the other day when we were watching the greatest wrestling match ever, which we all agreed was a pretty damn good wrestling match. Um, and started talking about the greatest wrestling matches because SGG and I were discussing it last week on the podcast. And Zach Linder, I'll let you start because you weighed in right away that you had a very strong sense of what the greatest matches of all time were. So, the, But the concept we've come up with here today, and we can get into more matches as time goes on, we're going to start out, we're going to do one round and go around and say our, our greatest match of all time, and then we're going to go around and say our favorite match of all time, a personal favorite. So I'll start with you. What is the greatest wrestling match ever, Zach Linder? Um, I think it's, it's between one of two matches. Um, and I ranked these number one and two when I worked for dot com. Um, and I believe the feature is still up. Um, uh, WWE.com slash 100 best matches. Okay. Um, Peter, Peter, you actually contributed to this. I remember. Uh, with the heel Sam Roberts and, and David Shoemaker. One of the first things we worked on together. And the, the number one and number two slots on that list are Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25 um, and Brett versus Austin at WrestleMania 13. And those two matches are the two best matches. Um, and, you know, when we talked about this, um, 
we talked about the best match having certain criteria and it's not necessarily, um, you know, we, we had a conversation about perfect movies and I made the comment that back to the future is a perfect movie. It's true. And it, it has certain criteria that makes it unbelievably satisfying when you watch it. Everything is executed perfectly. So while there are lots of great matches, I think there are only a few matches that can have that same sort of evocative sense that, that, um, that punch that George McFly gives Biff at the end of Back to the Future. And Sean versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 for the pure perfect wrestling of it. And Brett versus Austin for not just the wrestling of it, but because of how perfectly that double turn was executed and what it meant for wrestling moving forward. Andrew, um, so those are those. Uh, those are those are two great choices, Zach. But I see Andrew shaking his head, so I want to know what you're shaking your head at, Goldstein. We we discussed this during the pay per view. I am not a fan. I know I'm very very much in the minority, but I am not a fan of Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. I'm not a fan of that whole series of matches, but my, my point being is Undertaker Shawn Michaels won set basically changed WWE um, to basically mimic the indies. That was like the first match in WWE that didn't use the, the, the WWE form of wrestling. It took it took from the indies. It was fall it was a false finish palooza and I, I I just I just feel like it's massively overrated. Mm, mm, mm. Anybody have any? No. Anybody else? It, it was. <laughs> I, it was two legit WWE stars trying to put on an indie match. Uh, I, I mean, mean that's preposterous. That is. That's, that's absurd. Crazy. I'll I'll let Dip take this, but I'm definitely gonna have to chime in on that. I don't have well. a ton to say about this match. Neither two are in my even top. I, I guess that the bread Austin is in my top something, but uh, you know, I don't have much to say about it. I I, I have a just an overarching thing. To talk about when I when I when I get mine uh, when I get my chance, but um, which which I have an issue with with a lot of I'm sure a lot of what everyone's going to say. So I'm I'm gonna I'll let but I'll let you talk. As you I would I mean, but I would say that I do I, I agree with Austin and uh, Brett that that would I think that's certainly in in the conversation for greatest match of all time. I mean, you know, when I talked to- with when I talked with Sami Zayn about that match when um, you were at that dot com. When I was that no, he, <laughs> what he told me was, um, uh, Sami Zayn was, you know, as a Canadian, worshipped Bret Hart. Um, as we all know, Greg is Canadian as well. Yeah. And, and he, um, he could never bring himself to root for Austin, even though he saw that the tides were turning and, and Bret was becoming a heel and Austin was the, the next big thing. Um, but that, but what he told me is in that match, um, he couldn't help but root for Austin and, and root against Brett, which was, um, in any other world for him at that time would be Im- impossible to even consider. Um, I just want to back up a little bit to touch on what Goldstein was saying about, you know, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels basically being an indie match. I mean, in that critique, you sort of admit that they changed the game. So not only was that a phenomenal match, but for WWE and the way they presented wrestling forward, that match is a game changer. So it how changed can that the game to out? allow super kicks and kickouts and leg slaps and all, all of that stuff that came after that match? It led to the uh, the, the the like gross misuse of 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 the of of um, work rate. 
it, it, well, uh, I mean, obviously, everybody's not going to perform to the level of Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. I can't believe you have me out here defending Shawn Michaels, but I, but you know, the false finishes are only we can only detract from them when we don't believe that it's going to finish the match. And in that match, every every false finish we believe could be the end. But it's like saying, "Oh, this th- this chocolate cake is the greatest chocolate cake of all time." I'm going to have a slice and it's going to be amazing versus I'm going to eat the entire cake. Or I'm going to have chocolate cake every day. That match is obnoxiously – like it's obnoxious the amount of like overuse of like finishes, kickouts of finishes, false finishes. The whole – it was – it's just like you you can go 10 years previous and look at Savage uh, Savage Steamboat. They have false finishes and I don't have one complaint about any of them because they all make sense. The ones – the the – the false finishes in Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels are egregious. All right, well, so I think this is a good time to get your one and two. Then, yeah, let's yeah, let's let's do that because we're deep best. we're deep in the weeds now. Of the, uh, it's a reasonable argument, but I don't want to spend the entire time on the history so, of false finishes. Uh, as Zach said, it depends on your criteria. Greatest wrestling match of all time evokes like, okay, I'm going to the greatest technical wrestling match. But to me. We're looking at wrestling as as the big picture, the art form of wrestling. It's not just tackle, drop down, get it again, suplex, body slam, uh, you know, punch, kick. It's about using all of that in a way that evokes something from the crowd. And so in the same way that Austin and Brett uh, is on the pedestal, I think Hogan Rock, I I don't think there's an argument that Hogan Rock had the, the greatest like on the stage that it was and the greatest um, use of the art form of eliciting a response from the audience that it's just, you know, it's perfection. The, 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 the way the crowd, the, the way they held the crowd in their hand, sw- you know, the, the double turn, the whole thing rock. And then also where rock was in his career, who Hogan is and who Hogan was and the torch being passed, the story, the effort and what they did to the audience, what they elicited from the audience, I think puts Hogan Rock as like the clear. Um, it's really hard to make an argument against Hogan Rock, is what I'm saying. I I, I think that's an. I love that match. I have been talking about it a lot recently. Watched it the other day. I think you're totally right. It delivers, even though the hype is so ridiculous. It still delivers. And in that vein, I think that's why you have to consider. And I'll throw mine out there. You know, I always say Savage Steamboat as my as my favorite wrestling match of all time, and we can get to favorites. But if you use the criteria, and and for the record, there are a bunch of flair matches that you can put in the conversation of like when you're talking about wrestling that absolutely should be there. Flair Steamboat. I recently even really have found an appreciation for the end of Flair's career in the Flair Michaels match, even with how limited he was at that point. The storytelling in the match. But when you talk about the standard of absolutely delivering and putting on a show that from beginning to end does what it's supposed to do, while we all talk about the artistry of Savage Steamboat, Hogan Andre, to me, completely delivered as the main event of the biggest event of all time. It's a perfect encapsulation of professional wrestling. Exactly. For you, from the beginning to end, you know who the good guy is. You know who the bad guy is. The stage, it, we, they loved the good guy. They hated the bad guy. Now, a lot of this you have to uh, attest, attribute to the time we were in. 
You know, there was no ironic cheering of Andre the Giant. Like, this was just what it was supposed to be. Good guy versus bad guy. The greatest manager of all time. Making the the once most adored baby face of all time. This evil giant heel. And the match isn't long. It doesn't require that much. And at the end, the, the, the baby face is more loved than ever. The heel is more hated than ever. The trash raining down on Andre as he leaves. To end an event that big, that well, I think it's totally reasonable to say that that was the best match ever. What, how much planning? We know that the look both ways, you know, moment was incredible. We know that. And that was definitely planned. In Hogan Rock. How, how much do you think that they communicated the two of them together? to try to really tell that story? Or do you think that it happened naturally in the ring uh, while they were communicating during the match? Or do you I think, think both of the crowd? How much prep do you think went into that storytelling? You mean Hogan Rocky? I think that there, there was scenario oh, planning. Okay. What's that, Blender? I think that there, I think there was scenario planning. I think that they probably prepped for the possibility of a handful of scenarios based on what was going to happen in the ring and how the crowd was going to react. And they had different kind of choose your own adventures of where the match was going to go, depending on, on what happened. I think you're wow. giving them too much credit. I think that the crowd completely, they misread the crowd based on, you know, Hogan being the heel and the rock being this monster baby face at the top and that they didn't, they didn't ever foresee a scenario where the crowd was going to turn on the rock and that in that situation, they just, it just shows you the power of Hulkamania. That guy, Greg, you're going to hate this, but it just shows you the power of Hulkamania. Hogan does. comes in at the hottest heel in the business against the hottest baby face in the business, and the crowd could not keep it together to stick to the plan because it, they love Hulk Hogan so much. Perfect. It does, but, the fact, but the, fact that the fact that the crowd's love of Hogan took over the plan and that this was not a part of Hogan and Rock's grand plan, it sort of takes away from your argument about them, you know, the art form and them manipulating the crowd. It completely blows it up. No, and, and I think I think yes, it makes and, I think it makes, and, makes my argument. No, when the crowd completely takes over and reacts how they want to react based on their overcome overwhelming emotion. And what did Hogan and Rock do? Based they, on that. They, they, they did what they had to do. They played to it. Well, they, they improvised. They did a great they job. Had because to. they're two of the greatest of all time. But I, th- I don't think that goes to them being, you know, masters of the art form. I think that goes to them mastering the spectacle of it, right? Like, you know, making the crowd feel some emotion, just going off of the crowd. Which We're from two different generations. Form, no, I, I, think, I think... Stuff, I, but it's it, not the art form of professional wrestling that people talk about. When that is the art form, what they did, rolling with the changes. Yeah, I, In I, the moment. I think that... They were 100% in the moment. Sorry, Peter. I, they were 100% in the moment, and they performed. They didn't let that, uh, you know, trip them up. The art, they, form is, the art form is more manipulating the crowd, not being able to roll with the moment. Exactly. Like, well, it's, you know, the whole match was manipulating the crowd. That's what they did. All right, reacting. can we get to dip talking about WrestleMania seven already? Let's just get to okay, it. Okay, let's go. Yeah, I, 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 we, we could argue this all day. I think no matter it, either way you look at it, whether you appreciate the idea of you plan something. Guys, hit and me it, on Twitter at Ange Gold if you agree or disagree. If if you if if you plan it to 
if, if you think it's more about planning it and it, it going the way you plan it, or if you think it's more about improvising it, I, I, I would argue no matter how you look at it, what they did that night was brilliant and perfect. And the, the crowd did not go the way that they expected it to go. But not only did they roll with it the whole time, but again, if you watch the match again, the crowd all leans in for Hogan. They can't resist it. And by the way, SGG, those are your peoples. That's Toronto. That is Canadian wrestling fans just leaning into a moment and not being able to do what they thought they would because their childhood love of pro wrestling just took over them. So they end up rooting for Hogan. But if you go How often watch, do they get a show, though? I can't blame them. Can't blame no, no. Them. They were very – and by the way, that's it, it. in the end, they were right. It created the right moment. And then when Rock hits the kip up, I'm telling you, they all pop for the Rock again. And then he hits the win – um, and they get, and then Hogan and him have their moment together. It works out. It's the last great Hulk Hogan moment, 100%. It's essentially, it is the end of his career. That truly is the end. There were other things that were cool. The Shawn Michaels, uh, thing later at SummerSlam match, Randy Orton, he had these things that existed, but in terms of the iconic Hall of Fame moments, boom, Rock Hogan scene. That's the end. That's last one. Dipperstein, what do you got? <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't think it's going to come to any surprise, you know, of anybody, but the, the match, the great, that's not true. We're not doing, we're not doing personal. We're doing greatest. The greatest match of all time is standing right behind me, uh, right now, which is Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three. I don't think there is anything that evokes the emotion and the gravitas and the pageantry. Oh, then, then what you see behind me, shout out to extra cooler, a great artist, um, who, who created the main piece of art in my home, which is the very match we're talking about right now. My issue is the, the greatest wrestling moment of all time. My issue with a lot of the, you know, when, when we're like, you know, uh, pro wrestling mags had their, you know, at their, their, their Instagram page or whatever they did. They, they showed the greatest um, matches, uh, the, the greatest matches of all time on, at Mania or whatever. And, and the SGG, this is the problem that I often have with your picks. They're too contemporary. You need big matches to breathe for at least two decades, I think, before you can call them, 15 years at least, before you can call them the greatest or the most influential or the most important the Angle HBKs, the Triple H Daniel Bryan, the like all these matches from 2005 and up. The you, Otis Dolph Ziggler. Yes, right, right. The Otis Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> you can't call these matches the greatest anything until they have, unless until history can judge them. Mm. So when we talk well, about the Sasha and the Bailey matches and all this stuff, these are not the greatest of all time. We need to wait years me, until we make that determination. Fortunately for me, Hart Austin at WrestleMania 13 is 23 years old, which is that for that, me, that applies. The that greatest applies. wrestling match of all time. Now Sasha and Bailey do get their due because when you talk about greatest matches, even though it is like a five year old match, it's probably the only women's match that even sniffs a top 100 top 200 list and then you think about everything that the women are able to do after that it only is because of what they did so they get some due and i'm not gonna fault anybody for making it their greatest but for me the number one all-time ever best most perfect wrestling match is bret hart 
Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, you can't argue it. <laughs> no, it's, can't argue it. it's it's it's. it's a, I want to argue good. with you, but I can't. No, it's 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 we damn agree. good. I, it's I mean, very... that between <laughs> and, and, Brett's Brett's moments between when you talk when you think Brett and Mania, Brett Austin's phenomenal. The Iron Man match is crazy, and Brett Owen is at ten is also special. Those are to me, those are the three that you you hold on to. It's about the other, blood dripping from the head. Yeah, that's what I it's think all the other about. Thing it's about the blood. The finish. I mean, that that's a great point with the with the crimson mask and everything. And but what I think you also have to keep in mind with with Brett and Austin is uh, the context of how that match changed wrestling history. Without Brett Austin, you probably don't have the screw job. Without the screw job, you don't have the Mister McMahon character. You don't have the rise of Austin. Who then ends up his greatest rivalry with, was with the Mr. McMahon character. That, that match sets up what we think of as the biggest wrestling boom period of all time. And let's be yeah. honest. Too, well said. Uh, without the screw job, we're not on this chat right now having this conversation because the screw job was what like peels back the curtain completely and blows the lid off the whole facade and gets everybody so interested in what's happening backstage, who signed where. Who's getting a push? Who's not? And it fueled everything that that came together in what we see now with the internet wrestling community. So, with like like you said, the screw job, it, it comes because of Austin and Hart, but that changed everything. That's a great point. There really is. Yeah. And so again, there's no internet. There's no at, internet wrestling without sorry. without the screw job. That is everything. Go ahead, Andrew. When when you look at criteria again, like I like we've all been saying, everybody's criteria is different. If you, if you weigh impact. Very not impact wrestling, but impact of the match. Uh, you know that ma- that I think that match has more impact than Rock Hogan, but it, it just depends on how you calibrate your personal scale. Um, let's go to wrestling for sale, Ted. Thank you, Peter. I think the greatest match of all time is Edge Randy Orton at Backlash 2020. <laughs> Did you see this match? Said with a straight face. Fantastic match. Oh, the, the crowd was unbelievable. <laughs> the electricity was so thick. The you it. The, no, the the greatest match of all time to me is just something that when I was growing up and Dipperstein and I, I know through our conversations have a lot of the same patterns in terms of watching when we were kids and rewatching VHS. I, I don't see a match that had two guys at their peak that was more meaningful with a storyline going into it than the mega powers exploding at WrestleMania five. It's not a bad one. It's, it's prime macho man. It's prime Hogan. The storyline is the best storyline in wrestling history. The buildup untouched every event leading up to it, whether it's Saturday night's main event or anything they did leading up to it. It was believable. The matches like, good like wrestling wise let's say it's like a i don't know an eight out of ten but everything else that goes along with it the commentating like it's a small venue it looks cool it's everything that you would want in a wrestling match for that era and because 89 90 is probably my favorite two-year span i'd say that's for me the best wrestling match of all time it's a great pick it's a great pick a wonderful pick tremendous especially when you talk about the story leading up to it because it was flawless and it was so long. Again, they, they followed yeah. up, they follow up the endless Hogan Andre story 
with another like you just think about the patience at that time relative to now. It's so different. It builds for exactly one year. It's unbelievable. It starts the moment Hogan touches Elizabeth in the ring at WrestleMania four. Yep. And it just keeps going. And it's vicious. And all the scenes backstage where Macho Man's attacking Hogan, it's flawless. It's everything that you want and what wrestling should be between the two biggest stars in the company, which they just can't do today. When you, when you think about Faulkner and when you think about Here Hemingway. Yes. Uh, wow. Uh, the storytelling that went into the buildup of, Wrestle, of WrestleMania five, it's unmatched. Really, it's one of the great American stories of all time. The only difference, the only difference it, is I care about this story. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> exactly. I've always said too, like, you know, you can take the mega powers exploding as like an episode in the larger story of like that macho man, Miss Elizabeth. I feel like that six year stretch or whatever it is from when he debuts, it's like the jealous boyfriend through WrestleMania three with sad steamboat through him getting the championship. So true. Dumping her, rolling with Sherry, and then coming back together at WrestleMania 7. That's just it's, that's just the greatest story ever told. Mm-hmm. Not even in wrestling, just like ever told anywhere, ever. Is Savage the most reliable main eventer except Flair and Hogan of all time? The most reliable, drawer main eventer of interest. Okay, I mean, that's arguable too. Yeah, I think you talk from the... From the pops, I mean the the like any big match that Austin's in, it doesn't even have to be WrestleMania. It could be any pay per view where that guy was on the card. People explode. Yeah, I'll give I'll give two things to Savage though. Savage never had the Austin pop. No one did. However, Savage was an actually hated heel for a time, and as great a worker as Austin is, and he's phenomenal. Savage is even better. Also, this is a very Zach Linder answer, but I'll, I'll say John Cena, very reliable main eventer, has had tons of great, great yeah. matches, great draw. Um, I we forget about Cena, we, and we don't want to talk about him. No, but, he, he, uh, he's draw wise, he was very solid, and we've seen that because now we've seen where numbers are post Cena, and them trying to find someone to be him. Even though I would never put him in the same category, maybe that Zach. I would. mean, that's they call him Big Match John because. He always delivered when he got to the match. It was everything that led up to it that was corny and cheesy. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would throw Bret Hart in as reliable if we're talking about being able to deliver an entertaining quality main event. But when you think about like the pops and everything like that, I might have to save him for like a 1A in that conversation well, of that, reliability. Wow. Look at you. Uh, I, I would say so. Yes. Look at, look well, at, look at you. When you put him away your bias. When you throw any intangibles, I gotta pull him back a little bit just because he doesn't get his due with everybody else. But in terms of delivering a, a quality main event, I will throw Brett in it. I mean, and, and Triple H can put on a pretty, pretty awesome big time event, uh, match too. Um, I think he deserves to be in that conversation. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about favorite matches. Um, Ted, you were last. So let's go back to you first. Is, is it one and the same for you? The mega powers or is there another one? No, no, no. This is my favorite match of all time. Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, which hasn't been mentioned yet. We've said a lot, of Bret Hart, Bret, a lot of Bret Hart matches. I feel like every time I watch it, I feel like this is the first match anyone who's trying to break into WWE should watch. It's not just about how flawless Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect are wrestling the match. The commentating is perfect. You have someone who is the biggest heel commentator, Bobby Heenan, on the on this side, and then you have 
Roddy Piper way over here. And then you have Gorilla just like kind of in the middle guiding this whole thing. The whole thing with, with uh, his parents in the audience, um, all these different counters. Um, we were talking about false finishes earlier. It's not false finishes. There are so many great near falls that ha- like at any point you think that they can lose. And if you remember, this was a rel- like the sharpshooter was a relatively new move because he just began going solo and like actually winning matches. So we don't, we don't really know when that ending is really going to happen. And when he kicks out of the perfect plex, it's like, Oh wow. Brett might actually win. And it's really his like breaking into his solo career. And the thing that really jumped him off into the, the next level in WWE. Are, you're talking about and, the ripped singlet match, correct? Yeah, we yes. ripped. Yeah. He rips, love it. He ends up sharp, sharpshooter around. I love when he kicked out of the perfect flex. I don't know if you guys know that. I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, Intercontinental Title. Oh, you're the, the biggest fan. <laughs> and because because um, you know, this is SummerSlam '91, right? '91. I don't think we've said the event. Phenomenal. SummerSlam '91. Um, because the the main event was not a title match, and then. Macho Man, who's the second or third biggest person in the company, they're, they go into the wedding. That's really the most important match of the night is the Intercontinental match. Wow. That's, that's an interesting, uh, way of looking at it. Um, trying to think of order. That guy, Greg? Yeah. I mean, it's my favorite changes a lot. Brad Hart just throws up so many classics that it's hard to, to pick just one. But I think for me, the steel cage match at uh, SummerSlam 94 um, versus Owen for that world championship, I think is probably my favorite and one that I can go back and watch over and over. Brett Owen, it's the, it's the best brother on brother, you know, uh, younger brother, older that like so many people, the Hardys have tried it. Yeah. It's, it's been tried so many times and it never works. Um, because Brett and Owen did it so well. Like yeah, when it, the Bellas, you know, the Bellas tried it, the Hardys tried it. It just never, it, it, it can't work in this generation because of the, the you know, the, the, the sort of theatrics that we have now. But um, you really believe that Owen was this like put upon little brother who was trying to get the attention of his parents and get the attention of the, the wrestling fans who loved his older brother and you know that again, you're talking about like savage Hogan, savage type storytelling. The 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 Brett Owen brother on brother versus brother storyline is just uh, it's phenomenal. It's in my it, it's in my top five. No, yeah, and I agree. Like that that you know I said that Savage and Elizabeth is the greatest story, but for me, right behind it is that sibling rivalry with Brett and Owen. You know, Survivor yeah. Series when they the whole family's there and Owen's the only one that gets eliminated. And then they don't get the tag titles because Brett won't tag him in. And, then he and again, him. to Ted's point, that was that 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 story was told over you know months oh, yeah. and months. Again, this all leads to one of my hottest wrestling takes, which is that Raw and Nitro ruined wrestling because those two shows ruined the ability to have stories like Brett and Owen told at the pace that they deserved, and Hogan Macho Man told at the pace that that, that they deserved. When you get past Raw and Nitro, it's week to week, and things become, you know, encapsulated into month-long storylines, and it all goes out the window, and nothing means anything. I wouldn't say that Raw and Nitro ruined it, but I would say that multiple hours of Raw and Nitro ruined it, because one hour Raw forces you to be tight and then give some storylines. 
a week or two to breathe. You won't get to see everybody, but now with the three hour well, raw. Yeah, it was and, different. Original point. The original run of raw though, when it was an hour, it, it did still allow them to operate where they would take a couple of weeks off and they'd say, but in three weeks, I, we'll hear from the champion, Brett the Hitman Hart. And it would be like, it would be a different. I also, mean, I love this take, Goldstein. I but think I also mean, what I, I also mean that the main eventing of, you know, the, the, Putting wrestling in prime time forced these companies to put make every match a main event or a semi-main event, and it, it it took away from squash matches. It took away from enhancement matches, and you could say what you want about those being you know boring and whatever. But back in the day, like those built up to like you know Davy Boy Smith goes from a tag team, and now oh he's a single, and we get to watch him sort of like take on like. Little by little, he grows and grows and grows, and now all of a sudden, he's a main eventer and a semi-main eventer. We're not, we don't see like every match combination every single week, etc. All the arguments about Raw and Nitro in their, you know, the form that they took, but it just cha- it fundamentally changed the business from a weekly check-in to like a multiple hours a week, like impossible to tell a, lo- a long-term story in the way that they did with Hogan and Macho Man and Owen and Brett. And, and, you know, so many others before. Yeah. No, that, it's, it's a really, it is, it's totally. Dusty and Flair. Well, and also. That's a genius take. And also it made it impossible for stars to be kind of treated the way Hogan was treated. You know, we, we, we got, it was so exciting to see Hulk Hogan. As much as, it was so, as amazing as yeah. the Austin and Rock Pops were. I mean, it was so different when, when Hogan would show up, you'd be like, Oh my God, Hogan's going to be on Saturday night's main event today. You have to see it. It, it was so but not different. only that, if you watch Wrestling Superstars and Wrestling Challenge on Saturday morning, it's all enhancement matches. But every once in a while, you would get Hogan versus Rusty Brooks or like Hogan versus Tiger Chung Lee. And you'd be like, what? The? You know, you I go to Hebrew <laughs> school on Sunday and just be like trying to find somebody to talk to about it because it, it would blow your mind. And that was the only wrestling you had all week. I yeah. never paid attention. Again, to it's people. generational. It's generational. You'd be singing a Don alum, and you'd just be thinking about uh, I am a real American. Right, right. <laughs> it, it is amazing, though, that that even though week to week, all you saw because I just watched uh, the network just put on the second half of '89 for all the pro- the prime time a second from October to December 1989. Oh, that's great. The greatest run ever, maybe of of of, of my favorite era, like. The storytelling is told through promos in the the upper fourth of a of a uh, uh, like during the matches. It, it's 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 unbelievable to watch when it was uh, you know I think Snooka feuded with Mister Perfect for a second or whatever. Like there would be a Snooka match, Mister Perfect would do like a, a promo. That would be the thing, but that was enough for us. That's yeah. what that was enough. But, it, it was they kept these guys away from each other for so many weeks that when they finally came together well, and they were in the ring, it was amazing. I I just, I just had the moment that uh, <laughs> Andrew was referring to. I was watching a prime time uh, from '89 uh, last night, and uh, and randomly yeah. and randomly the match that they threw to was Honky Tonk Man versus Hercules, and I was like, oh, this is a this is a pretty important match. We're seeing two, it's you know, very important. Very important. And by the way, I, I watched Towers of Pain versus Heart Foundation. Mage, and I, and by the way, Hercules, you should know at this time, his his roids, he was really down at this point. He looked flabby, a Jace. 
It's like the moment before wow. he went back to being a lunatic. He, like, doesn't have the crazed, rippling veins. I didn't even remember this time. I guess cycle-wise, he didn't have very many matches during this time. He looks like a different man. Him and Honky Tonk Man have the same body. A Hercules Honky Tonk main event on 89 feels like an 88 match or an 87 match. Right. It doesn't feel like an like an 89. So Hercules must have really been jobbing at the time. Although Does he, that sound right? He, 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 he his head wasn't in the game after Heenan sold him to the million dollar man. Yeah, everything changed. He, everything changed. It, I mean, think about it. Like your manager just sells you out like that. It's hard to recover from that. Um, okay, I'm up. I, I would say, listen, I've always said Savage Steamboat's my favorite match. The truth is, this is like when people ask me my favorite rapper or favorite hip hop album. I, I literally can find the joy in, in so many different ones. Uh, love, love Rock Hogan, love Savage Steamboat, love Hogan Andre. I mean, listen, I, cliched and as it might, as it might be, I still, when I sit down and watch uh, Foley un- uh, Undertaker from beginning to end, as insane as it all is, and we've seen it a gazillion times. I still find it thrilling to show other people that match because it to to show what the business was capable of doing and how much it could make people see things that you couldn't believe you would even possibly see in entertainment. Um, even though it's not a traditionally good wrestling match, uh, any of the Flair Steamboat stuff from a wrestling standpoint is perfect. Um. And then Brett, of course, just has so many. I mean, Brett Piper is really awesome too. So good. Yeah. It's it's Brett really Piper's good. like in sh- Piper's in shape. They did the whole like Piper's part of the family kind of explanation. It's the old Intercontinental title. Piper's not in uh, half yeah. blackface. There's so much about it that makes it great. Oh, um. All right. Uh, Happy now, now we go. Um, Dipperstein. No, Dip just went. Oh, Dip, you went? No, he didn't. No. Oh. Well, um, the, the, personally, my favorite match of all time is uh, Ultimate Warrior oh. versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 6. It was the first, besides Wrestle War 89, which was <laughs> the first thing that was ever taped on VHS for me as a kid, WrestleMania 6 was the second. And I used to watch it. Over and over and over again, I was the ultimate warrior for multiple Halloweens in a row. You've seen the pictures, and it it all he was my he's my favorite of all time. There's a, another a piece of art in my house of the ultimate warrior. There the 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 outfit, the colors that he wore that night, the orange, the the rain the the, the whole the whole rainbow getup that he wore that night. His hair was big. The promos were amazing. Everything about that night was uh, special to me, and it got me into wrestling. That match was the match. That was your hook. That was my hook. And so um, it carries the most weight and most emotion, and uh, also the first wrestling magazine that I ever got was the um, – it was uh, the April oh, – excuse me, I, I believe it was the – June, it was May or June 1990, the purple cover with uh, the Ultimate Warrior with no, I had it. Yeah. with no paint, holding up both belts. Everything about that match says the beginning of my wrestling fandom, and thus it is my favorite match of all time. And with a close second to that is Royal Rumble 1990, 
which oh, is 90. the most perfectly booked, most magical, most unbelievable, has the most unbelievable pops and moments that uh, a Royal Rumble has ever had, whether it's the the macho man at his very, very peak wearing the blue tights to, to, to you know, it's starting off with DiBiase throwing out Coco and then, and then Janetti, and then the third guy is Jake and the point, you and me, the whole thing. I mean, if you go back and watch the Jake pop as number four in the, in the, Royal, in the Royal Rumble 1990, it's, it, you're not going to hear a much better pop than that in that era. And um, just the whole thing, him throwing out perfect at the end, perfect wearing the orange, he looked great. It, everything about that match was meaningful. I think it's clear from both of Dip's uh, picks that Dip uh, puts a lot of stock in pageantry. Oh, the man! I, I was one of the biggest pageantry guys I've ever <laughs> known. Honestly, huge, huge pageantry, Mark. Uh, but I, in all seriousness, I think it's very interesting. It's our first non-singles match. You know, to, your second pick to to pick our Rumble because obviously we all love '92, though the ending stinks. But um, I think I just think that's interesting. Like if somebody picked a tag team match, but you picked a Rumble. I think it's it, – we don't think about it when you say greatest wrestling match ever. You go right to singles matches. But I think you're right. There's so many non-singles matches that, 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 deserve, um, that deserve praise. To me, Royal Rumble 1990 was my most uh, rented VHS from Blockbuster, hands down. Well, I think same with me. It's a big, it's a big moment. There's no doubt. Um, all right. We have to keep moving here. Uh, who's up next? I think it's me. Goldstein, then Linder. Yep. And it's a perfect transition from the last match that you mentioned because uh, I'm going to live the gimmick. Uh, I'm going to go super esoteric. I'm going to go outside of WWE. Um, I tweeted that I tweeted about this match after Sunday. Um, this is a hidden gem match that I found on YouTube and then couldn't find for a long time. And then the great people of the internet sent it to me. They found it for me. Um, uh, I'm going to just pull up the, the date. I almost feel like a Grateful Dead tape trader when yeah, I talk about that's, this match. That's but, very much where you're going. So this is from Mid-South Wrestling. This is Ric Flair versus Jake Roberts, 11-24-1985. I, I, uh, I'll link to it uh, in, in tweets after this podcast. But um, what I, this, is a, this is a super deep cut, obviously. There are lots of matches that I could say are, are favorites of mine. But I love this match for so many reasons. Just some context quickly. This is the classic uh, iteration of Ric Flair is the national champion. He's, he's the world champion going from territory to territory. He's the big main event taking on the territory's biggest heel at the time. So he rolls into Mid-South at the, top, at the height of his powers, 1985. And he takes on Jake the Snake Roberts, who is a young up-and-coming heel. He's wearing the, the baggy orange pants. And Ric Flair comes out dressed to the nines in the robe. They go face-to-face before the bell rings. And Ric Flair is, is, is like, ripping at his, is, like, pulling at his, like, sleeveless T-shirt and pulling at his, like, schlocky pants. And, and pant- there's no commentary. He's pantomiming. Look at you. You're a mess. What, what is this? You're wrestling for the world title. You're a mess. And, and they, they get face-to-face, and boom, Jake hits him with the DDT pre-match, pre-match. And then that sets off 12 full minutes of Ric Flair selling the DDT all the way back to the dressing room saying, I quit, I'm out of here, you know, you guys don't deserve me, 
the whole time selling the neck, goes backstage. The referee gets on the house mic because there's no commentary and says if Ric Flair doesn't come back, he's disqualified and he will lose the title. So Ric Flair pulls his, his, you know, grabbing at his neck, pulls himself back to the ring, walks back, and then this is we're 15 minutes in already. We haven't they haven't locked up, and then they have a classic 20 minute match. That's awesome. Eleven twenty four eighty five. We talk. We yeah. Eleven twenty four nineteen eighty five. That's the week of Starcade eighty five. Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake Roberts, just a house show territorial you know match, but what. What I love about it is we talk all the time. We everybody uses the term roller coaster. Get on the roller coaster of this match. It is so much fun. It's it's like the um, shameful pro. It's Dusty's shameful promo in wrestling match. Oh, I think you say it was like a Sheamus match, which would be a, a different level. Oh uh, no 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 no. Uh, you know you should mute yourself uh, for even bringing Sheamus up in a in a in a conversation about the oh. greatest match of all time. How dare you? Listen. It's such a joy. It's just a joy to watch Jake who gets obviously becomes who he becomes. And this is like in the germination of Jake Roberts, you know, how, how genius he was almost as a rookie to be able to pull off what he pulls off. And Ric Flair at the height of his powers, uh, it just shows you that the full greatness of Ric Flair and why people, you know, we, we've seen 20 years of Ric Flair being, you know, rickety Rick, you know, rickety Rick, like old, sort of past his prime, but, and people talk about how he's the greatest of all time. Watch him, watch him play the role that he's given in this like meaningless territorial. But that's, but the, the, it's the reason that people spent money to see him every night and think that they're going to see him lose and finally think they're going to get the moment. He gets DDT. Do you believe it's going to happen? Let me guess. He retains. Yes. One last thing about the match that is so wonderful. You have to listen to the crowd because the most over thing in the match is the DDT, which again, in the last 20 years, the DDT has been rendered, you know, completely meaningless because people use it as a setup. They do it three times, four times in a match. The, ch- the crowd is not chanting Jake. They're not chanting Flair. They're chanting DDT, the entire match, because the story that they tell by, by Jake giving him the DDT, before the match, all the fans want now is to see him hit it again. And so the chants are DDT, DDT, the entire match. It, again, it's like what, what the action in the ring evokes from the crowd. Okay. It, it's, it's a master class. All right. Well, we got to stop before this promo is actually longer than the match itself. Zach Linder, you're up next to take us out. Uh, I agree with you, Peter, that I, I find the joy in a lot of different things, and it's hard to pick just one. You know, I'm, I'm actually surprised that Dip didn't talk about WrestleMania 7, Warrior versus Savage, and that he did WrestleMania 6 instead. That's my second. <laughs> I'm up there. I, 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 for me. I, I, I think that's, that's Warrior's best match by a mile, the match with Savage. Um, you know, I, I love Mr. Perfect versus Ric Flair early Raw. In '93, when Flair the loser leaves town, the loser leaves. And I think that's a really underrated Flair and perfect match. Um, you know, when we're talking about non-singles matches, for me, the best non-singles match of all time is TLC from WrestleMania 17 with the Dudleys, Hardys, and Edge and Christian. I think that match is absolutely flawless, and it it really sets the table for tag team wrestling for the next 20 years. Um, but for me. The two entities in wrestling that I love the most, that I feel like are mine, that that I love, are ECW and Mick Foley. 
So if I'm going to pick a personal favorite, it's either going to be ECW or Mick Foley. And because I can't pick just one, I'm going to pick one of each. So um, Try to make uh, each Cactus one under seven minutes, though. I have to do a radio show, please. <clears throat> Cactus Jack versus Triple H at the Royal Rumble 2000. Beautiful match. WWE Network just did an untold oh, episode man. about this. I was there in the building. <clears throat> it is an absolutely phenomenal match. It is hardcore, but not too hardcore that you want to look away. It tells the story. In For my money, Triple H versus Mick Foley and the whole arc that they had from 1997 onwards is maybe the best rivalry of the last 25 years. Um, so I would say that that for Mick Foley. And for ECW, um, I used to love going to ECW shows at the Elks Lodge on Queens Boulevard. Um, for me, it was the, the best wrestling atmosphere that I've ever experienced. August 26th, 1999, uh, the Dudleys are leaving ECW. They are going to WWE. And that night, they beat Balls Mahoney and Spike Dudley for the ECW tag team titles. And they're taking the titles with them to WWE. How dare they? In comes Tommy Dreamer to challenge them. He's going to fight them himself. But who comes in to save the day? But Raven, who has been gone from ECW in WCW for years, Dreamer's old rival, Johnny helps Polo. his old rival, def- helps, helps Dreamer defeat the Dudleys for the tag team titles, preventing the Dudleys from leaving with the belts. Um, that th- Those two matches are my, fa- are my two favorite matches, and I was in the building for both of them. So, so being there live and experiencing them live has a, has a special meaning to me. Um, Peter, go do your radio show. Guys, that was, <laughs> uh, that was, uh, I think we're going to have people making a playlist of matches. Andrew gives us that gem. I think Zach, um, certainly that ECW one is one that people would sleep on. Um, that was good stuff, guys. I love you all. So many more too that we didn't even get. And there, to. Yeah, there's a ton more. I'm thinking, you know, as we, as we continue to live in quarantine, and my guess is this will be some version of this probably for close to another year, we need to find joy in doing things like this and because we all love just reviewing old wrestling stuff so much. So um, feel free to reach out, RosenbergBeats at gmail.com. Everyone here is on social media in some way. Zach Linder on Twitter, um, uh, Ange Gold on Twitter. Um, Ted and Dip are more Instagram likely at Wrestling for Sale or at the Dipperstein, and you know where to find uh, me and Greg at Stack Guy Greg and at Rosenberg Radio. All of you guys, do me a favor, be safe, and please stay mage. It's professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. At this time, I would like to introduce, in the corner to my left, the majesty, sweet, sweet Peter Rosenberg. And then I went to makeup and like sat in front of the mirror a little bit and got myself together. Also, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I would like to introduce, shout out to that guy, Red. Red Hart is the greatest professional wrestler in the history of the art form. Mage. Mage.